From uh, the beach side of Bluffers Park. Ooh, a little bit of wind picking up. Uh, I'm on a picnic table. I better turn around. Yeah, Picnic table at Water's Edge. It's rather nice. Um, somebody's carried this thing down here. And uh, it's a sunny day. Uh, early afternoon. It is Friday... December 17th, oh my god, a week till Christmas Eve. I was going to do shopping today, but I can see that's not going to happen. I was uh, slowed down by YouTube. A lot of people I know are, you know, spend a lot of time on YouTube. And uh, I don't, as a rule, but gosh, I might be falling into it. I I hope not. There's just a few things I needed to check out and uh, people I wanted to learn more about, what their opinions were. Uh, And YouTube was the perfect way to do that. Now, I'm going to maybe come back to that. I don't want to get right into it. I I always need when I start these things off. This is uh, Dixon Jane's podcast number 875. I always need to kind of slowly move into it. Uh, I knew it was a nice day. My good friend Barnacle Bill was in uh, London, Ontario, looking after his uh, older brother, who had a stroke, and uh, was out for a walk, enjoying, you know, trying to stay fit. And I knew, oh my God, i got to get out there too. I just have to take a walk. Well, I've had the walk. Uh, The hard part was my pussycat, always wants up on my lap. If I, as long as I'm sitting in the TV, the chair in front of the TV, she is up onto my lap at least a dozen times a day, like on and off, and just she'll see me, and I can't resist this beautiful white ball of fur. And she she gets she rolls over, and you know I get my hand on her soft, warm belly. Ooh, I hate seeing that. Just you know, hey. What are we talking about here? Uh, it's just so lovely. And she's just, the face curls up, a little paw goes up, and it's just its just absolute delight. And you've created something beautiful, wonderful, warm, and lovely for this little animal that we're sharing the planet with, you know, this you've done something nice. And so you just don't want to say, hey, come on, i got to get up, i got to get a walk. You know, you just don't want to interrupt that. So you just sit there a bit longer. And then meanwhile, your other hand reaches over for your uh, your MacBook Air and uh, it's the start button on another YouTube video. Hey, is this wasting time? Is doing this podcast wasting time? No, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's just something I I need to do. This is for my mental health. Um, a, a point I often bring up, and I feel the need to repeat in case people forget or, you know, people question why. The system, I've, it basically, this that's evolved over these 15 years of podcasting is... 
three clips a week from different times and different places. Well, lately it, it's it's been Bluffers Park, but it's a huge park, and so it's different places. Like today I'm on the beach. I never podcast or rarely podcast from here and certainly not sitting at a picnic table. So it's the location's different. The time is different. Is different. However, my morning started is different, and so the content is going to be different. The content is based on what's happening during the day, what's going on, how am I feeling, you know, and and that shapes whatever words. It's so different from somebody writing out a script and saying, okay, here's what I want to talk about. And they either make notes or make a script. And you know I sometimes make notes. I've made notes because sometimes my memory doesn't work and I can't remember names like, uh, where are they now? Uh, Douglas Murray. Or here's one. I, I've got a, a, a video or YouTube video queued at home with um, Jordan Peterson, Douglas Murray, and Sam Harris giving a talk. I'm looking forward to that one. Well, I guess I'm into it now that I've brought that up. Douglas Murray talks a lot about identity identity politics, as does Sam Harris. Very much against it. Um, these are people I I didn't even know. I, I didn't even know the name Douglas Murray. Who the hell's that? And, and I don't know how his video came up somewhere in my feed um, because I, I wasn't searching there. But it's 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 become very important to me. It, it's an alternative take. Um, I mentioned last episode the sort of the the row I had with my son over differences of opinions, and yet afterwards, I'm always very happy he has different opinions than I do and feels strongly about issues in a way that I don't. And in fact, I have two sons with very different, and the two of them are sort of almost polar opposites. Uh, Daniel today said, well, Kenji out in Vancouver is very left-leaning and cares about, largely about issues like trans issues and and so on and um, would have a certain outlook, (coughs) perspective that's... um, that fits with what a lot of other people feel these days. Uh, he said, I'm Canadian, in, in a little more conservative, but in the Canadian sense of conservative, which means left-leaning. Canadians are left-leaning as a whole. Whereas he, Daniel, more like his mother, is much more conservative. And I thought, well, it's great that you even that you have that perspective, that you understand where we're coming from. And and it was kind of a, a a good way to cap things off, I guess, because as I mentioned last time, I was feeling bad about the emotionality. Is that the, is that a word? Emotionality. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, that goes into a lot of the arguments I have. I just just you know I just fire off, and uh, I, I can't sort of calmly explain something. Um, so anyway. What I've ended up doing is going and listening to people who have views maybe counter to political correctness. 
And I've always thought I already was very much against political correctness. You've heard me state some very loud and very bold and and, uh, life-endangering opinions about Islam uh, in the distant past. Um, And I think I've needed to hear other people's views that are challenging the left. And Sam Harris does this. He challenges the left and the right. Uh, Jordan Peterson would do the same. Uh, and a lot of people are uncomfortable. Oh, well, no, you can't, you can't like. It's not fashionable to like Jordan Peterson. My God. He is the person, by the way, um, who was fired from the University of Toronto for refusing to use appropriate, uh, by today's standards, gender terms, they instead of he or she, and just made an issue of it and said, no, you can't tell me. And, uh, and um, a lot of people say, well, you know, he's just wrong. And I wasn't so sure he was wrong. So I think what I'm, what I'm trying to explore is open myself up to examine my own biases, prejudices, the fact, you know, that I do watch CNN and, of course, that it's just nothing but anti-Trump still, and and for good reason, but it is just that view, and maybe there are other perspectives here uh, when it comes to the the far right, and I just want to be open to hear other people. I I watched a video, uh, and it was called, uh, by somebody else, here's another name for you, Neil Oliver, and it was called The Attack on our history and culture. And when you read that, you think, oh boy, this sounds like white supremacist stuff. Well, he sure didn't come across that way. Long-haired, bearded, bearded, uh, British, very um, uh, interested in history and has a huge following, apparently. And I think it's sort of, it's the backlash against the political, politically correct movement. The reason I'm getting into this is when our church group uh, took up the book on, um, gosh, what was the book about white racism? And I was sort of thinking, well, hang on, I don't, I don't identify myself as a as a racist. Um, and the answer to that is, well, that's because. Um, you're a racist and you're, you don't know it. You're, you're hiding it. And I, I, I really, I was not comfortable with that. And there was a time when you had to put up, you know, Black Lives Matter, put up that banner on your, on your, on your blog, on your, uh, Twitter handle, wherever, whatever you're doing, just, you know, Hey, <coughs> don't question this or that. This is where you have to stand. And I do have a problem with that. Uh, still. And then it went on to another book, uh, Emergent Strategies. Um, and, and all these things are very much playing into the, um, the left. Uh, here it says, Emergent Strategy calls for a radical rediscovery of love. Love for self, love for others. So I don't know. I just... By then, I think what was happening was a lot of people, certainly in our church, in our book studies, who drank the Kool-Aid. Oh, it says here, if I say I'm not a racist, it means I'm a racist. So, gosh, I guess I'm a racist. I better change that. Uh, That kind of thing. 
Um, gosh, here's something on uh, Peterson. First came to public notice as Native Toronto by refusing to use so-called compelled speech. Uh, for example, being compelled by law, by law, to refer to a trans person by their chosen pronoun. Um, anyway, there's just a whole lot there. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm just doing this as an introduction. Um, and I, I don't want to... I, I don't know where I'm at, other than the fact that I'm enjoying exploring other viewpoints that some people would consider right-wing, maybe, uh, or racist, or I don't think so much racist, or anti-transgender, or any of these things, you know. Um, there's just a lot of, I guess, it's it's... Being free to think for yourself and say, okay, well, what is my... I know what people are telling me I should be thinking, but what do I feel about this? I think the example that, that, that really got to me uh, today, watching one of them, was um, Douglas Murray. He was recording in Florence, and he talked about the absolute splendor of Florence, for the architecture, for the music, and we're going back in time, right? Not necessarily present-day Lawrence, but what Lawrence did represent, and what Florence, not Lawrence, uh, did represent, and, and what it held in terms of sort of saying this is some of the best of Western civilization, the music, the architecture, the writing, uh, you know, the, the, the painting. And I don't want to throw this away because that's Western culture, and Western culture is so much out of fashion now. That's what it's coming down to, and it's you've got to beat up. You've got to. That's why the person defending his British history, so saying it's fashionable now to beat up on everything that's Western. And this is a a very a wide ranging movement that people are just sort of accepting. Yeah, this is the new norm. This is what you you're not supposed to celebrate. Uh, British history in any way because of all the wrong that was done or, or uh, Western civilization in the past. <laughs> and I know this sounds like a, it's exaggerated, but there is an undercurrent of those things where people are very guarded in what they say. Uh, the, the idea of this cancel culture, that people do get shouted down for voicing an opinion that just may not be currently popular. And it's made people afraid to speak. And I, I have been saying things like that on this podcast for a long time. And I've just decided I'd, I'd like to explore this a little more about um, one of the, the books by Douglas Murray, Islamophobia, a very metropolitan malady, um, The Strange Death of Europe, Immigration, Identity, Islam. You can see where this is going. The Madness of Crowds. Gender, race, and identity. Uh, so that's uh, that's that person, Douglas Murray. So I'm going to explore him a little more. Neil Oliver, I will go back and listen, the one who wrote The Attack on Our History and Culture. And part of the new culture forum. So, of course, I go and find out, well, wait a minute, who's paying for these things? Whose platform is he speaking on? What should I know about them? And this is not, you know, the the radical white nationalists here. These people may be depending, defending certain values that appear to be white-centered, uh, 
you know, uh, if I could use a phrase like that without somebody shouting at me. Um, but it's all very, very touchy. It's very dicey. It's very uh, interesting material. But I guess the thing that, that, to me, the bottom line is people are afraid, even even podcasters, to voice opinions that might not be fashionable, that might be open to interpretation or misinterpretation. Um, and and with, often with things, sometimes you have to go on a bit of a trip, a bit of a journey, a bit of an exploration, and find out, oh, wait a minute now, I'm okay with that, but whoa, I, I don't agree with that part at all. But you've got to be able to think. You've got to be able to make the calls yourself, um, you know, without falling in line. And it's a theme I want to bring up for my uh, church group, our, our men's, you know, Zoom group that we meet monthly. Uh, I don't know if we will. I don't want to uh, dominate the conversation. But I do think a lot of people have drunk the Kool-Aid, drank the Kool-Aid, and do go along and think, well, you know, and, and it's almost like you banish certain thoughts uh, from your mind. Like, no, uh, don't go there. Yes, um, you know, our, our, our history. And, and the same is happening here in Canada, of course, with all the the unmarked graves of uh, children taken from their families. There can be no discussion on that that doesn't um, conclude with, yes, the white people did horrible, terrible things, and uh, there must be a way of paying for this somehow. Uh, I know a lot of money gets thrown thrown out to sometimes resolve some of these issues, and we know that's not the way. Um, but but that's part of it. That's part of the, you know, anybody who dared to speak up and say, well, wait a minute, why? Can we even ask why were these institutions put in place? Why were children taken from their families? Uh, was it for the purpose of, of the horrible things that were done? Or did some people at that time believe this is the right course? Make these children into Canadians? Gosh, I'm, I'm just so uncomfortable even seeing those things. I'm just raising this as a discussion point because of the fact that we cannot have such a discussion. What happened was horrible. Um, we know, looking back, it was wrong. I'm just, all I'm trying to do is sort of have a discussion when the discussion is not already decided for me. When it's not already decided, here's what you're supposed to conclude, and you can't deviate from that. You, you're, you, you don't even try. And I found I was in the very same position with the Black Lives Matter. This is a position you have to take. Don't, there's no wiggle room. And it isn't that I'm trying to defend anything. I mean, how horrific for children died and, and children brutalized, children raped, uh, taken from their families, all these horrible things that happened. It's not a question of defending that. It's a question of, of just trying to have a discussion and understand without being given the opinion you're supposed to have so that nobody hates you and um, you won't get in trouble if you think this way. Okay, boy, that was, that was, that was, that was troublesome. And, and it's the reason I'm raising it now is because it is... Well, why should this be awkward? Why should, why should it be so difficult to, uh, 
start to examine some of your own outlooks, your viewpoints. Start to start trying to explore where are we at today in in our culture, in our history, in our in our sense. So where are we at on this whole issue of immigration in Europe, and and what is happening, and the fact that wow, people of a certain religion will dominate, will be the majority in not too long. Um, will those people uh, change values that other people have accepted? For example, gay rights? Or will a, a religion say, no, 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 we're going to reverse this whole issue on gay marriage and, and so on? And, uh, you know, what, what battles will we still need to be fighting? Um, what what progress has been made? What progress is in is in danger of being lost? There's just a whole lot. I and boy, I'm I'm so uncomfortable now, having even started this, but I had to. That was because that's where I'm at today. All right, boy, twenty minutes. There's a third of the podcast gone. Scarborough dude signing out on a lovely day, uh, which maybe I've ruined. No, I haven't. Here on uh, Bluffers, Park Be- Bluffer- Bluffers Park Beach, and it is getting chilly, so I'm heading back to my car. Stay tuned. See where we get to on this. Maybe this will be the whole theme, and maybe it'll just be, uh, you know, forgotten. Bye for now. Ding, ding, ding. I guess that's enough. Got your attention. Oh, boy. Boys and girls. It is Monday, about 2.30 in the afternoon, December 20th. So, uh, Christmas creeping up. My job today was to go out and buy salt uh, so that we don't have a treacherous front porch. You know, when it snows and freezes over, turns to ice. Uh, But, um, haven't done that yet. I guess that's next. The other job was to uh, go to Shoppers Drug Mart and get my meds filled before December 24th. And I got a um, usual run around. Oh, we can't do it. It's too many days early. You know, we can't. You're only allowed to f- refill a certain number of days. But it's already been refilled online. I've already done it. I just didn't want to pick them up Christmas Eve. You know, it's com- inconvenient time to go out into a Shoppers Drug Mart. And, um, he said, no, you know, you have to call back tomorrow. I said, I tried all day calling today, you know, I, I can't get through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have to call back tomorrow. I said, how about if I just leave you a note to, uh, do it, you know, instead of me calling you, you write yourself a note <laughs> and you put the order through. So he kind of agreed on that and then said, well, anyway, call tomorrow to check if they're ready. Hey, the least of my problems, really. I'm glad I'm getting the meds. Today's start off, I've noticed uh, part of it comes with age, and maybe other people have noticed it, but I think it's tied into my balance issues. I am a little more uh, uh, clumsy or apt to drop things, you know, like drawing a knife and suddenly it's on the floor. Oh, gee, how did I mess that up? And you have to be extra careful not to spill things, knock something over with your hand, just a little bit off. You know, it's it's there. I'm aware of it. And today I was trying to put the shovel back. I just scraped a little bit of ice off the front steps. And 
went to put the shovel back, and I just had to sort of lean forward a little and put it against the wall and lost my balance and fell forward, and it just happened. My thumb went straight into a uh, the head of a nail, a rusty old nail that was hammered into a post that where I used to wrap the Christmas lights around. And it was a nasty-looking gash. And I thought, oh, shit. And there's one more thing. It's not just the fear of falling, but this balance thing. You, you Anything can happen. And that was an example. Like, normally, no, you just put the shovel back. That's it. Get in the, get in the car. But this time, putting the shovel back meant losing balance, meant falling against a post, meant stopping myself from falling further by reaching out and... Uh, gouging my thumb. Anyway, I got a band-aid on it. The boo-boo's all fixed. Everything's okay now. Thank you. Uh, again, this is just warm-up, right? So listen, um, I was thinking I was going to do this entire episode devoted to um, having your mind made up or your opinions preformed by what's the right thing to think, what's, you know, what's... Uh, Politically correct, what's in vogue, what's fashionable, you know, following the herd. And thought, yeah, I could do the whole 60 minutes on this. And uh, I've already decided, no, that's not the way I do the Dixon Janes podcast. We just jump to whatever a different day comes and you're thinking about different things. And this podcast should reflect that. That's how I've done it from the start. Um, so what I did was I took that clip, the first 20 minutes, and I, I chopped off the initial four or five minutes warming up and sent it to the person who leads our men's group and said, basically, I found this interesting. I don't know if anybody else will, but uh, if you think it's worth talking about with the group, maybe you could share this. And I have not heard back from him and I figure, okay, it's Christmas time. He's not checking his email for this kind of stuff. He doesn't do that a whole lot. But also the other part of me thinks, no, he's thinking, why is Ken bothering me with this? Didn't Ken have the topic last time? Why are we doing something else that Ken's interested in? So uh, I've just left it at that. I think it would be a good topic. because To me, it was important because it is... We need to know where do our opinions come from? Why do I feel this way? Why am I in agreement on this or disagreeing with that? Um, and and especially now over issues like COVID and what's the proper stance to take, you know. I'm living with somebody in my house who has not been vaccinated yet and does not want to be. And I can't see how I'm going to convince him he needs to or must. Um so when my doctor phoned me today, just a follow-up call instead of a, an in-office consultation, which only took five less than five minutes anyway, it was just to say, I've had a scan, arterial scan, my arteries are fine, no change, you're okay, uh, we'll do the same thing next year. And uh, a nice doctor, I figure, I, I don't know if this is a scam or not, that, you know, he's just, ma'am, I don't know what he charges for that, but I have the scan, and it, I mean, hey, He's a heart specialist. I'm not going to say uh, second guess and say, no, you don't have to do that anymore. But whatever the case, it doesn't take very long. He looks at the results from the scan, sees the diameter of the arteries, whether that's changing or constricting or blockage or whatever. No, everything seems to be fine. You're good for another year. Uh, but meanwhile, we had a nice little chat, and I said, I'm really you know, sorry for people in your profession about 
COVID and the stress. And his reasoning was, I don't understand why the government can't just mandate this, that everybody must have a test. And and I'm kind of in agreement with him. Like, yeah, you can't renew your license. You can't, you know, anything where you do online or you have to go in for a service from the province, anything where they track you, um, you have to prove you've been vaccinated, you know, and, I know there'll be backlash. Oh, my God, that's exactly what people are fighting against. Government control telling you to do this or that. So I'm just only giving that as an example of this kind of thing. You know, where do you land on that side? Are you in favor of government enforcement? You must be mandated or you can't, you know, function in society. You can't, you know, anybody with, you know, we. I mean, when you go into a restaurant now, you have to show the proof and so on. Why isn't it? across the board, uh, and same for kids going to school, whatever, never mind these religious religious exemptions um, that have to factor that in somehow, but I don't see what religious exemption would apply. Uh, but anyway, that's just an example. You know, I'd be curious to know what listeners think, or who's in favor of that, and I have the feeling a lot of my friends would be, and yet a lot of people say, oh, well, that's just leaning towards government control of your whole life, which could be either right-wing or left-wing. You know, it could go either way. Well, who's behind this? So I'll just leave that there, and we'll we'll drop that. Um, an example that follows this, it's related. I watched a movie last night, The Power of the Dog, and I'd heard great things. I thought, oh, it's new. I can get it on Netflix. Why not? Sunday night, watch a movie. Nobody else was around. I'll watch it by myself. And I wasn't sure I wanted to watch a, a Western. I don't know. I used to love Westerns, but not now. But, hey, it's a 2021 Western. You know it's going to be different. <coughs> Excuse me. So I, I watched it. And I really wasn't sure... How I, I knew it was a good film. I knew it was well done, the cinematography, the acting was excellent. I knew it was good. I kind of liked the way they did chapters. You know, suddenly you get a one on the screen, and two, three. Oh, okay, now we're moved into a new part of the movie. That's They haven't used that technique for a while, but uh, yeah, that, that's good. All right. Um, and each one was like sort of a, a part of the story, but it was quite different, different focus, obviously. Like you know the scenes in a or the acts in a in a, a play, okay. So when I mentioned the Barnacle Bill this morning, I'd watch it. I said it's not a movie I'd recommend. And then I thought, you know, why don't you dig a little more? Why is this one so popular? Why are people liking this so much? And so I went and read several reviews, all raving about the film, pointing out things that. Um, maybe I hadn't focused on. And suddenly I'm thinking, yeah, I'd recommend that film. My opinion was changed by reading things. Okay. That's, that's, that's what it boils down to. I read something suddenly the almost indifference that I had in the beginning is now, no, this is a film worth watching. I was influenced by what other people wrote. Now, if I had read the critics who panned the film and said it's shitty, it was boring, there was no, you know, build up or whatever they had might have, they they had might have, they might have said, 
Who's to say I wouldn't be influenced by them? Would I have argued back against the critics? And so, again, it's just this issue of maybe it's just me personally, you know, that I'm a little weak-minded and I, I tend to be go along with things. I've told you more than once about that National Geographic magazine I have from 1938 showing Berlin in its glorious color. And my God, those huge banners hanging down from buildings with a swastika. They look beautiful against these spiffy, shiny, well-built buildings and, and government offices and who knows what. And the order, it would be so easy to buy into that after anybody who's lived through the ruins of World War One and the and the you know the uh, the depression and everything else, and suddenly you've got under Herr Führer this new country with pride and and order and everything else. Wow, hosting the the Olympics. Wow, look at Germany today. What a job they've done. And you'd be marching right along. Again, you know, who who does stand up? And so it, it's just, I'm just raising this. Uh, there's really nowhere to go with it other than I, I'm asking listeners to question your own, or you, where, your sense of values. Where do they come from? How How fixed are they? How influenced are we by certain other people's opinions? You know, who do you disagree with? Who do you follow? Um, I'm going to give, I'm going to follow that up, uh, with, uh, Eddie Muller. He is the czar of noir. I didn't know that title until I looked it up today. The czar of noir. And of course that's film noir. Now here's a thing that I don't need a critic's opinion. I don't need a whole lot. I just need to know it's enough if I look at when the film was made and it's in black and white and it's on t Turner Classic Movies from a certain era and it's maybe got an actor that I know, Dana Andrews or or any of the others in it, yeah, I'm going to like this. Um, and I do. I, I just I watched one yesterday and I became completely absorbed. And then when Eddie Muller came on and talked more, like, you know, the back story, I thought, wow, that's even greater. It became, the, the person made nothing. They made, I think, $35,000 from the film. And it went on to be a cult favorite, as they talk about, a cult classic. And uh, the studio made a ton of money from the film, and none of which went to the director, who had no money. It was his first film. Uh, he did it without licenses. Uh, the equipment, the film equipment, he had to borrow, there was some left over in Cuba when, when a, a film crew, an American film crew, was booted out for filming illegally there. I think it might have been an Errol Flynn picture. And uh, he said, well, if I go and get that film equipment and bring it back, can I use it? And yeah, sure. It's yours. So uh, he did. That was just some of the backdrop of the story that made it more interesting. But I had already seen the film and loved it. Um <laughs> so what I'm saying is I love film noir and I don't need somebody to tell me whether it's good or bad or this one's really special. It's nice when you do get that. It's like when you, you see an ad for a computer you've just bought or, you know, my PT Cruiser, how I loved it. And whenever I saw a nice ad for them, yeah, they are cool looking cars. Um, anyway, film noir, I'll just read a bit. Uh, 
Film noir emerged and peaked as a popular genre of film during the mid-1940s into the 1950s, earning its genre name from a group of French film critics. Noir's key influencers in terms of visual style and narrative content were German Expressionism, which utilized low-key, highly stylized lighting and the hard-boiled literary genre along with the closely related pulp novels of Prohibition and Great Depression era. These tales of murder, mystery, and intrigue gave rise to iconic anti-heroes like detectives Sam Spade, Mike Hammer, and Philip Marlowe. And uh, you just love it. So, I don't know. I just needed to throw that in there. Um, Maybe that's about it. I'm I'm in Buffers Park. I'm in Thompson Park. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be out getting the ice and uh, maybe some shopping. So, yeah, I'm going to leave it at that and uh, come back to you. I won't drag this one out. Scarborough Dude signing out from uh, Thompson Park on a beautiful Monday. Oh, my God. By the time you get this, it'll be Christmas, and I haven't even wished you Merry, Merry. I'm borrowing that from uh, Jason. Christmas. (laughs) Yeah, you too. The door to the office opens and McGovern strides in, wearing a crisp navy blue suit. Dan, please, sit. Sorry I'm late. Oh, don't apologize. Busy job being a U.S. senator. Throw on top of that a presidential campaign. Well, I won't say I've been getting as much sleep as I'd like. And you're right, time is tight. So what are we discussing? Well, Senator McGovern, I wanted to start with a question. When you announced your candidacy for president, you said you wanted to tell the truth to the American people about the war in Vietnam. Is that still the case? Of course, that's not posturing. That's what I want. Why don't you ask? Well, I have something for you. It packs a wallop. McGovern squints at Ellsberg, intrigued. Okay, go on. Well, very few people know, but Secretary of Defense McNamara commissioned a secret history of America's involvement in Vietnam. It covers everything. The battles, clandestine operations, and most important, all the lies that the military and multiple presidents have told the public. And you've read this thing. I have. And I also make copies of it. I have excerpts right here in my briefcase. Incredible, Dan. And thank you for bringing this to my attention. But those files you're carrying around, you're not doing that just for some exercise. No, Senator McGovern, I'd like to share them with you. Well, good. Because we have options. I can introduce your files on the floor of the Senate. It'll let the public see the real story about the war. Ellsberg shifts uncomfortably in his seat. Senator McGovern, I'm not afraid to go to prison. I've already made peace with that possibility. But however I can, I'd like to minimize my own risk. Of course, but then you're safe. I don't know if you can say that. I stole these documents. And if you bring them to the Senate, someone will trace them back to me. Hearing Ellsberg's concern, McGovern rises and heads to a bookcase. There he grabs a thick volume and drops it on a desk. Dan, look, this book has a copy of the U.S. Constitution. Read the text. As a senator, I cannot be questioned about anything I say on the Senate floor. Not by the Justice Department or the executive branch, not by a grand jury or even my colleagues. No one can compel me to give up my source. Then I can protect you. And I promise I will. Ellsberg stares at McGovern, considering the offer. If he moves forward with this plan, the FBI will almost certainly begin a manhunt to find the source of the leak. They won't stop looking until they've found out who it is. 
Still, McGovern's assurances are as good as it's going to get. So Ellsberg unlatches his briefcase and places several large envelopes on McGovern's desk. His eyes wide with anticipation. McGovern says he'll need a few days, but he'll read through all the materials. And after he digests everything, he'll call Ellsberg to lay out his final plan. The two men shake hands, and as Ellsberg walks out of the senator's office, the weight of his decision finally hits him. In a matter of days, the public will learn the horrifying truth about the Vietnam War. America's leaders could face incredible pressure to wind down the conflict. It's exactly what Ellsberg has been dreaming of. But Ellsberg also knows, if all goes according to plan, his life will quickly change. Ellsberg will go from Pentagon analyst to most wanted man in America. Okay, I've just uh, played you a little clip from the Pentagon Papers. This is uh, from a podcast, I guess the overarching podcast is uh, American Scandal. It's on something called Wonderly, but uh, I just um, run it through my own podcast player. Uh, which is, what? what is my podcast player anyway? Overcast, I think, isn't it? Yeah, Overcast. I love it. I, f- I forget who turned me on to it. Uh, maybe Jason, uh, normal Jason, or is he the abnormal one? I, I don't, I can't remember anymore. Uh, anyway, it's great, the, uh, the app, but that podcast, wow, I'm on episode three now. Um, I guess that's the end of it, but I realized I, I went through and they do all kinds of stuff on American history called, I mean, it's American scandal after all, um, and I've got others. Um, Attica Prison Uprising, I may get into that, although it's be a bit depressing. Lenny Bruce, the obscenity trial. Um, so, oh, Paola. And just a whole lot of uh, other stuff. I, and I guess I'm only sharing it because I love my podcast that where my friends talk or people who are, you know, a little bit open and, and maybe share the intimacies of their personal lives and they're just being themselves and these are not famous people. You know who I'm talking about. Uh, people who would maybe in turn listen to the Dixon Janes podcast. But I also subscribe to, like I say, I'm on uh, Slate Political Gabfest every week. I'm beginning to tire of them a little bit. I mean, it's this has been for a very long stretch. I sort of know where they're all coming from. But every once in a while you hit a a, a gem like this. And it's particularly interesting because, I mean, they're talking about 1969, 70, 71. Hey, these were my years. I was a university student back then. This is is on the news every night. This is big stuff. And I I guess that's the other thing that I realize is there is an age difference. Somebody else uh, listening to this... This would be history, but it was not something you were listening to or watching. You know, Walter Cronkite on the evening news uh, following this story. Maybe your maybe your parents were, <laughs> but uh, anyway, I love it, and and it's it's just so interesting. And I realize, yeah, I'm just I'm so fascinated by American politics and history and how I mean how can we not be we we can't help it it is that I was going to say I don't know a giant or monster next door to us like we are impacted by everything that happens there 
Um, now, when all this was going on, I mean, I knew and I've been consistent what side I was on. It was anti-establishment. It was, you know, pro-long-haired hippies, anti-war. But I wasn't, you know, carrying placards and out in the street. I didn't become a vegetarian. I just grew my hair long. I was a hippie for the convenience of it. I had long hair and wore blue jeans and smoked a lot of hash. So those were fun days. And dug the music, of course. But uh, I'm not... I would never claim to have been anything remotely like an activist, you know, um, and, and you know, have these convictions. I was more interested in my own little life, you know, whether I was going to get laid or not and uh, who I was hanging out with and uh, what we were going to do and who's going to uh, score some new hash and, uh, you know, stop my little world. It was quite comfortable. So you're you're part of this subculture picture. You know, the, that side, um, and it's against, you know, the basically anybody over 30 kind of thing. But you're not uh, you're not committed. I think we, we care about these things maybe even more as we get older. But at the same time, I'm not out there marching around for the environment. And uh, uh, I would not be, even if I was so interested, picketing outside a politician's private home. Uh, people, anti-vaxxers are doing that now outside our uh, Premier Ford's house. And I, it is just so wrong. Not just about being anti-vaxxers. I don't care what the cause is. Hey, you go to the Houses of Parliament, you go to the government, you go to the legislature, you parade in the streets, you do what you want, but you leave his family alone. This person is running for office. They are not dictator for life, in which case, you know, you might want to burn down their house. This this is this is this is not fair, and uh, it's wrong. You know, no matter what the cause. So there's my stand on that. I guess I really don't have much to say. I wanted just to share that clip. I was all excited. Today has been a uh, another errand day. Oh, here's the thing. Remember last time I was going on about that ten dollars. I was wondering if I should uh, tell Staples about it. I got this cheaper than it was really meant to be. The chair. Um, today I went in, the the errand I was on today uh, was to buy salt for melting the ice. You know, you need a bag uh, for your front steps and the sidewalk and so on. So I went in and there were three bags of salt, three different kinds. And only one had a price on it and said eleven ninety nine for this big bag, big heavy bag. But this one said, is it a pet-friendly and environmentally, you know, better and so on? Oh, well, I guess I'm obliged to get that one. But I'd like to know what these other two bags of similar products cost. So the the store is in a shambles. This is Canadian Tire around Christmas time. Stocks, you know, the shelves are a mess. Things are, places are empty. But meanwhile, right across from me, there's three guys who are all hired, obviously, as staff, clerks, uh, and they're just talking. <laughs> they're standing there talking. They all are pretending to be working on a shelf, but they're just standing, hanging out, talking. So I asked them to uh, to come and, you know, hey, there's some stuff here with no prices. Could you guys give me the price? So they have a little hand scanner, so of course. Guy comes over, and I said, that one says eleven ninety nine. What about this one? No, that's eight ninety nine. And this is the one that is just the uh, re- regular 
salt, rock salt, and it's you know I know it's wicked stuff. It'll eat away. It'll eat away at concrete, but you know it's three dollars cheaper. And then there's another one. Oh, that's twelve ninety nine for I don't know what its merits were. And I thought when I saw the pet friendly, I thought, oh, my little poor little Yuki goes out on the steps. I don't want her getting something on her paws that's going to hurt her. So, all right, I'll get the eleven ninety nine one. And um, sure enough, went to the cash, and she rang it in. After she scanned it, somebody, somebody, some guy was standing there, or an assistant manager lifted it up so this person could reach over and scan it. Scanned in at five ninety nine. The eleven ninety nine one I bought because I felt morally obliged to buy it. Rang in at five ninety nine. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Okay, all right. So let's. <laughs> all right, all right. Okay, so I'm happy. All right, did the right thing and got rewarded for it. There you go. What more do you want in life? Jesus. Uh, I did also stop by the LCBO. I had one glass of Guinness. I made the day I made the um, meatloaf, which was a hit, by the way. Did I even tell you I made a meatloaf? Another one? Yeah. It was great. It was. I'm getting good. This is my second one. I'm gonna. I'm gonna work on these meatloafs. They're really good. Anyway, um, I had a Guinness. I, I always reward myself if I'm cooking a meal. I'm allowed a drink. It's either a beer if I've got one or uh, red wine. And I only had a Guinness in the fridge. And by God, was it ever good! I'd forgotten. Like that is truly a good drink. And these ones that are, you know, they're um, they've got the little. Um, thing so that it it, it uh, contains barley. You know, a little thing inside that makes it uh, fizz up a little bit. I don't see it written here. Serve cold, drink responsibly. Contains barley. Why would they, why do we have to know about barley? People with barley allergies? Well, it doesn't say, but some of them have a little gizmo on top where you um, snap it and it foams up and pours out properly, as if it's like on, on draft beer, okay? All right. Anyway, it may or may not. And then the other four-pack was Kilkenny Irish Cream Ale, which is always a Christmas treat. So these were presents to me that I'm really happy about. They were nicely wrapped four-packs and, and, and... It isn't the reason I bought them, but both of them were also on sale. You know, a dollar off on each of the four packs. Well, hey, yeah, I'll take it. Thank you. So, all right, Kilkenny Irish Cream. Nice big containers, too. And the, the thing I don't mind at all, yeah, these are 500 milliliters. 4.3% uh, alcohol and 4.2%. So a lighter alcohol. I almost bought one, uh, a coffee porter. But it is 6.5% alcohol, and I really do. I'm, I'm not crazy about the higher alcohol content. Yeah. All right, so you can see clearly I really don't have much to say. But I, I just, I'm so impressed with that professionally done podcast, this, uh, this whole series on Wonderly. Uh, boy, oh boy, uh, it's, um, it's good stuff. So I encourage you. Uh, I always have a podcast playing when I'm uh, cooking. Just set the thing up on the windowsill and uh, cook away. That's always fun. All right, we'll leave it at that. Scarborough Dude, signing off. Bye for now. 
until you finish handing out the rest of the copies. A day, maybe two. And after that, you'll turn yourself in? Yeah. Promise. All right. Well, I'll just do my best to make sure you win a trial. You're a very brave man, Dan. Take care of yourself. The two hang up, and when Ellsberg turns to his wife, Patricia Marks, he confirms what he told his lawyer. In two days, Daniel Ellsberg will surrender himself to the authorities. He won't go on the run or stay in hiding. Marks holds Ellsberg's arm, a sad smile on her face. She says that when he turns himself in, she'll be standing there right beside him, as proud as can be. Ellsberg smiles. He's going to need his wife's support. He'll need all the support he can get. Because once he turns himself in, he's going to face the wrath of the federal government and the ire of the president of the United States. From Wondery, this is episode three of the Pentagon Papers from American Skin. In our next episode, Daniel Ellsberg gets ready for a high-stakes trial, and President Nixon and his associates hatch a plot to take Ellsberg down. Okay, countdown begins. I've got just uh, seven minutes, according to uh, Audacity, to uh, finish this podcast off. So I'm here today uh, at uh, Bluffers Park. Now we have uh, we entered winter yesterday. We had the longest night last night. I stayed up later than usual, kind of fitting for the longest night. Um, watching. YouTube. I'm going to get into this. I don't. I, I don't know why I have to share this with you, but I knew last night I I would have to tell you about this. I got onto Dick Cavett. Um, Lucille Ball was the guest, as well as Carol Burnett and uh, Lucy's daughter, Lucille's daughter, Lucy Arnez, uh, as a 19-year-old kind of geeky uh, young lady. Now, I'm telling this because I've only just finished listening to, on Turner Classic Movies, that same Lucy being thrilled to talk about the old days and, and kind of an unhappy life uh, because mother and father were just so busy all the time, you know. And she's saying, I, didn't, I was really brought up by my grandmother. So this is happening. This is like, you know, 2021, we're hearing Lucy Arnaz talk about her mother, Lucille Ball. And then last night, we flash back to 1971 on Dick Cavett, uh, Lucy, and her mother, Lucille, on the same show on the panel with Dick Cavett, talking about raising children as a, a Hollywood parent. And Lucy, Lucy, Lucy <laughs> Lucille, the mother, I love Lucy, um... He's talking about having to, you know, come home and look after your kids and do all that stuff. Uh, this is 50 years ago, right? 1971. Whereas in 2021, I've just heard the daughter who's sitting on the stage you know, 50 years earlier with her mother talking about how she, her mother didn't have time for her and she missed out on a lot of that. Um, it's, it just, it just was, you know, I guess you're, maybe you'd call this meta. You're just approaching something on many different levels. Like you're jumping around in time. But the part that got me was Lucy was there and past her prime. She had, after the Lucy show, after I Love Lucy, after all these things, her husband, uh, Morton, uh, Gary Morton, I guess, 
after Desi had left, insisted she put out one more show as an older, as a grandmother, I guess. And it was a big flop. And the and the network pulled it. That never happened before. And it kind of really broke, you know, from being the most popular woman on television for so long to just have the network yank. No, nah, not funny anymore. And um, that was it. But seeing her last night on this show 50 years ago, I just, I just about cried because I felt... This connection with her, having heard her whole life story on this podcast on Turner Classic Movies, talking about Lucy Desi, um, just it made me close to her. And I cared. I just cared. And when I saw her, it was really weird sitting and watching it on my, my MacBook that I was seeing the real Lucy on the stage. I was seeing her really in that moment, even though the moment was 50 years ago. Like I was seeing the, what she felt on stage with her daughter, with Carol Burnett. And of course, they both you know, exchanged their love back and forth to each other. With Lucy, 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 the daughter, a little more uncomfortable like saying things, Mom, you never said that. You know, I mean, there was something just incredibly emotionally moving about it. But most of all, I just felt a love for Lucille Ball because she, she had a hard life. She really, she came from small town New York, wanted to be a star, dated like a, a rough gangster type guy, made her way up. Had an incredible, wild relationship with Desi Arnaz, who was quite a story, too. Fascinating stuff. Shit, all my time has already gone, but I just, it was so powerful. And I'm going back full circle to the start of this podcast when I talked about being influenced by other people. Like, had I not heard the Turner Classic Movies new version of the whole story of Lucille Ball, I wouldn't have cared the same way that I did when I saw her on stage and, and wanted to cry. I wanted to say, Lucy, I love you. you you're, you're a human and you've done the best you could in this life. And it's been a hard life and you've you've done it, man. You've done it. And it hasn't been easy for her. I mean, she, she really did work her way up. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I didn't feel the same way about Carol Burnett. I watched... Um, uh, What's <laughs> I knew I would not. I knew I when it came to Lady Gaga. I watched Lady Gaga the night before with Tony Bennett, and I was blown away by the talent Lady Gaga had. I don't care if we're going to go over time. Uh, she is amazing, and she was doing old time big band music, and got up there and sort of propped up Tony Bennett, who at the age of ninety five held his own. He did an amazing job. And she escorted him off the stage at the end. I was so impressed. And she looked absolutely stunning. Uh, it's, my God, like larger than life. I've always liked Lady Gaga. But seeing her do that, old showbiz tunes, like, wow. I made jazz tunes, amazing. And then, by chance, because I stayed up late, because it was the longest night, um, I saw her on, uh, what's his name, the TV talk show host I don't like anymore, um, and my God, she, without that same makeup, she just did not look nearly as beautiful. She looked, I mean, almost to the point of ugly, but 
I still have great respect and admiration for anybody who goes their own way in life, who has the fucking courage to get out there, put themselves out so what if they're famous. I'm not talking about fucking Kim Kardashian and people I don't know and don't watch them and turn the TV off. I'm talking about people who really have real talent and and have put it out there and have been themselves and are working hard and supporting good causes. And Lady Gaga is one of those people and... Uh, there. <laughs> I guess there's nothing else to say. Um, my good friend in um, uh, Thailand, Harold, the fellow I'm, I'm so sad that I'll probably never see again in my life because he's not able to come to Canada. I'm not able to go to Thailand. Uh, it, it saddens me. Uh, but he texted me last night and it was just a simple, what's the name of that bar or that place we went to on a on a bar tour, this island uh, in Japan, and bam, a flood of memories come back. And right away I knew, oh, the Enoshima pub tour. Yes, Enoshima is this little island off Kamakura on the Pacific Ocean. Uh, you, there's actually a causeway that'll get you there, or little ferry boats to get you back from different points on this island. And you can walk the entire circuit of the island around the perimeter. And, and as, as you circle the island, you've got different views of the mainland, of the ocean, of boats. It's absolutely wonderful. And there's these old, rickety, run-down old restaurant bars just selling, you know, uh, uh, octopus and stuff. Uh, and, and, but something to eat and cold beer. And the tour, the deal was, all right, we're going to do the Enoshima Bar Tour. You've got to get this little train line, the Enoden line that runs through Kamakura. And you walk along the beach and you get to this place. And you stop at as many places as you can along the island for a cold beer and a different view. What a fine day. And it was just wonderful that Harold, the barstool Buddha I'm talking about, my good buddy, guy I did acid with, a guy I, I just is been a very important part of my life, like Glenn, like others I've talked about. Uh, it was just wonderful sharing that little connection and that right away his memory, because some friend had, of his had talked about Japan and suddenly this pops in his mind. He texts me from Japan, pops into my mind that I'm reliving the Enoshima Bar Tour. Wow. How wonderful. And then I had to write, oh, well, never mind. That's another story for another time. Scarborough dude, gone over a little bit. Sorry about that. So what? Um, this will be out before Christmas if anybody's listening on time. I hope you and your loved ones or you alone crying in the dark have a wonderful, well, no, alone crying in the dark. It's not going to be wonderful. It's going to be poignant, I mean, poignant. Have a poignant, have a meaningful Christmas. Have a Christmas with feeling. Feel something, capture it, think about it, hold a moment during this Christmas holiday season. Just hold a moment. Look around you. What do you see? What are you experiencing? What are you feeling? What are you thinking about? What are you caring about? What's going on? What's in your heart right now? And hold on to that for a little minute so that maybe one day you'll be able to bring it back. Yeah. Yeah, that COVID Christmas of 2021. Yeah, I remember that time, that, that little moment when I... Scarborough Dude, bye for now. Merry, Merry Christmas! <laughs>